Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chance House on Thursday the 21st of November. I'm Jenny Tanzin, with me reading the news are... Sue Perry, Hannah Green, Kate Hudman. Nigel Green is our engineer, Carol Hartle, Joe Gwynne and Jean Burbeck are working on the administration and this week's copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are Van Driver Almost Hit a Pedestrian Brave Oscar Five Heads Abroad for Treatment Murder Probe Over Death of Sarah at 25 Turn the Meter On Another Little Store Could Open in City and Traffic Woe Sees Patients Left Trapped in Car Park. And now I'll hand over to Sue for the first headline. This is the headline from Friday, November the 15th. Van driver almost hit a pedestrian in city chase. A dangerous driver led police on a high-speed chase through Worcester, crashing his van and forcing a pedestrian to dive out of the way. David Geary admitted dangerous driving and failing to provide a specimen for analysis when he appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court yesterday. The 34-year-old, who was behind the wheel of a Ford Transit van, refused to stop for police, causing a pursuit through Bath Road, London Road and Diglis, which ended with him crashing into a mini near his home on April 25th this year. Police suspected he had been drink-driving but did not manage to obtain an evidential sample. The court heard that Jerry's leg was in plaster and he was on crutches. As a result, could not have controlled the van properly. <coughs> Nicola Ritchie, prosecuting, said Jerry contravened a number of traffic signs, including two keep-left signs and one no-entry sign, and also went the wrong way down a one-way street, narrowly avoiding a high-speed collision with a pedestrian who had to take evasive action. Miss Ritchie described Jerry driving at speeds well over the speed limit during the police pursuit, which she said was an aggravating feature of the case. He caused a number of third-party vehicles to take evasive action to avoid a collision, said Miss Ritchie. Jerry struck a mini, causing damage to offside and came to a, a stop at Woodhouse Close in Diglis. The road where the defendant then lived, only to be arrested when he got out of the driver's side of the van. The pursuit covered a distance of 1.2 miles. Miss Ritchie said the defendant had a plaster cast on one leg and crutches. She added, The Crown case is that he would not have been in a position in any event to control the vehicle, notwithstanding the dangerousness of the driving. <coughs> a non-evidential sample of alcohol was found in his blood and it was taken at the roadside but he failed to provide a proper sample whilst in custody. <coughs> Excuse me. She said he did have relevant convictions including failing to provide a specimen for analysis and failing to stop after an action. Jury was represented at the hearing by duty solicitor Catherine Mayen-Reed, but she did not make representations or lay out mitigation because the case was deemed too serious to be dealt with by a magistrate's court. The chairman of the bench said, 
Looking at the guidelines, this is clearly a, clearly a Crown Court matter with regard to sentence. Jury, now of Pershaw Road, Kidderminster, <coughs> will appear for sentence at Worcester Crown Court at 9.15 on December the 13th this year. Magistrates imposed an interim disqualification until that hearing, but granted unconditional bail. He was asked to cooperate with the probation service in the preparation of a pre-sentence report to assist the sentencing judge. Those convicted of dangerous driving face a mandatory disqualification and must also sit an extended driving retest. Jury will have to apply for a provisional driving licence and drive as a learner, pass a theory test and pass an extended practical driving test. The practical test is no longer and more demanding than the normal test, lasting for about 70 minutes and covering a wide variety of roads, including dual carriageways. And on Saturday, November the 16th, the headline was Brave Oscar 5 Heads Abroad for Treatment. The parents of Oscar Saxelby Lee say they are petrified as they head to Singapore for potentially life-saving treatment as he battles leukaemia. The Worcester five-year-old will have CRAT treatment after the community helped raise £500,000 and more to cover the cost. Oscar's mum, Olivia Saxelby, said, Oscar is continuing to fight but his disease hasn't responded greatly to the DLI treatment in the UK involving a top-up of donor cells he was given. It kept his disease level down to an extent, but it's not what he had wished. It's taken a few days to come to the decision, not only because of the results, but the difficulty in knowing whether each option will cure him. All we want to do is the right thing by our baby. So in the next few days, we shall be on the plane to Singapore. Mm. We are scared, we're petrified, we just don't know if this is the best option. But w what we do know is Oscar was given this chance and we must go for it before it's too late. In a post on their Facebook page, the family said, Often we sit, no talk is needed, no eye contact is needed, just tears. Just that time to grieve. It's not often, but it happens. It happens because all we wish for is a normal, happy life without our baby suffering. Being strong, remaining positive is absolutely our way of coping, but sometimes we do have to be realistic. All we want to do is the right thing by our baby, yet that is not something that you can't determine during these traumatic times. Dr. Jen Kelly, director of the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust, said, The team at the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust are proud to have been able to help support Oscar Saxelby Lee and his parents, Olivia and Jamie, through the most incredible fundraising campaign. We would like to wish them the very best of luck on this next step of their journey and to say we are rooting for Oscar all the way. The funds are ready, but we are currently working hard to sort the final details for the funding of Oscar's treatment and are awaiting on the final paperwork from Singapore before transfers can take place. When this is received, we will be ready and waiting. 
Thank you so much to the people of Worcestershire for working together to help us give this wonderful little boy this chance. Grace's legacy was a wish to help other children and we are so proud to have been able to help support Oscar's family in this way. We will continue to be in close contact with the family, helping wherever we can. In just over three weeks, kind people and organisations from across the country raised more than £500,000 through events and donations to send Oscar to Singapore for his potentially life-saving treatment. Oscar's parents had pleaded for help to raise the cash after being told that despite a bone marrow transplant, Oscar's T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukaemia had returned and no other treatment options were available on the NHS. They were told his only hope was to try expensive CRT cell therapy, currently only available in Singapore, and a second bone marrow transplant. Events included a charity rugby match at Six Ways between West Mercia Police and Warwickshire Police, more than 30,000 was ra- raised in the course of the match, which included gate receipts, bar profits, bucket collections, a raffle, a silent auction and a range of other fundraising activities. Another kind fundraiser was Sergeant Major Mark Wall as he set out skiing, cycling and rowing the equivalent of seven marathons in a week. He was supported by pupils from Pitmaston School, which Oscar attends, and more than £3,000 was raised in the process. When the £500,000 barrier was broken, Oscar's parents thanked the people of Worcestershire for their generosity, saying, We are absolutely gobsmacked with the amount of humbling support we have received since the word go. Over the last three weeks, we have watched the people of Worcestershire work together to raise this seemingly impossible amount of money. It has been heartwarming to see schools, businesses, individuals and even children giving all they can. We would like to thank you from the bottom of our hearts, Worcestershire. You are truly amazing. In March this year, more than 4,000 people attended Pitmaston Primary School to be tested to see if they were a stem cell donor match for Oscar. Eventually, a match was found, but although the transplant took place, Oscar's leukaemia returned later in the year. And the headline for Monday, November the 18th, Murder Probe Over Death of Sarah at 25. A man has been arrested on suspicion of murder after a woman's body was found in Upton on Severn. The woman, being locally named as Sarah Hopkins, was a former barmaid. Floral tributes have been laid near where she was found, unresponsive, by Upton Fire Station. One read, To my beautiful Sarah, you will never be forgotten. Another said, Taken too soon, rest in peace with the angels. Sarah reportedly worked at Permador in Upton and also did shifts as a barmaid at the Plough Inn. She is a former student at Handy Castle High School. Police said a 25-year-old woman was found unresponsive in Causeway Lane near to Upton Fire Station after they were called at around 8am on Saturday. Her next of kin have been informed. 
A 44-year-old man has been arrested on suspicion of murder and is currently in police custody. The area where the body was found remains cordoned off. There is police tape around the fire station and the grass verges around it. Extra officers were sent to the area and remained there yesterday. Brian Green, who lives next to the fire station, said, I didn't hear anything last night or this morning. I didn't really know. It is such a shock. It's always a shock when something like this happens, and this is a quiet area normally. We have had a few incidents with drunks outside the club sometimes in the last couple of years, but nothing else. I am so sorry to hear about it. Another resident said, It is a shock because it is such a quiet town. This is the first time I have experienced something like this happening. I think it will be more shocking as we find out more. When something like this happens, people will avoid facing up to it. It is a shock and people maybe don't want to talk about it. Detective Inspector Jim Bayliss from West Mercia Police said, Our inquiries are very much in their early stages and at this stage the woman's death is being treated as suspicious. A man has been arrested and is currently in police custody. Extra officers will be in the area, both to carry out inquiries and to offer reassurance. Anyone with information can ring West Mercia Police on 101, quoting references 150S161119, or alternatively, information can be passed to Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 111. Headline for Tuesday, November the 19th. Turn the meter on. A nurse has labelled city taxi drivers who refuse to turn the meter on and instead charge flat rate fares as disgraceful and she's worried it'll encourage more people to walk home late at night, putting themselves at risk. Kim Tanner, who specialises in forensic sexual offence examination, is worried that young people will choose to walk because greedy taxi drivers are breaking the law by not using the meter. However, a spokesman for Worcester Taxi Drivers Association, the WTDA, said the issue is down to a lack of enforcement by Worcester regulatory systems and the city's council needs to have a major shake-up. Ms Tanner said she has got two taxis in recent weeks from the ranks in Fourgate Street back to her home in Barbourne and the drivers had refused to turn the meter on, while a male friend of hers had the same issue with two taxis parked at the rank on Saturday at around 11.30pm. She said she argued with a taxi driver during the latest incident, around 4pm on a weekday, who wanted a flat rate fee of £8 for a journey she knew usually costs under 5 And he told her, do you know how long I've been waiting for? To which she said, that wasn't my problem and to let me out. The driver then agreed to put the meter on and the fee came to £4.20p, she claimed. I had a proper argument with him and phoned the company up and had a go at them, she added. Miss Tanner no longer uses the rank, instead getting off the train at Shrub Hill, but said she fears the issue could result in more young people failing to get home safely because they would just walk after nights out. There's just the assumption from someone if that someone is drunk, you put them in a taxi home 
and they will get home safely and the driver will give them a reasonable fare. She said men and women are being put at risk of attacks, using the example of a man in his 20s who was severely sexually assaulted in September in Fort Royal Park. If you are on your own, if you're drunk, if you're not safe and need to be able to rely on a taxi home, she added. Miss Tanner said there is an issue with taxi parking illegally off the rank, blocking the bus stop. She said she watched a woman who was very unsteady on her feet, having to be helped off the curb and onto the bus, which couldn't get to the stop because taxis were blocking it. A spokesman for the WTDA said the problem had been going on a long time and are particularly down to cross-bordering, which drivers licensed by other councils come into the city to ply their trade. This has meant drivers are more desperate to make ends meet by charging flat rates and competing for spaces, but means the standard of drivers and taxis are also dropping, with the authorities only interested in revenue. But he said if enforcement officers did their jobs, they could prevent floating of the law, sorry, floutering of the law, um, including parking outside ranks quite easily. A council bylaw means taxi drivers who park outside of a designated taxi rank when it is full and do not move on to empty one could be fined up to £500 and handed four penalty points. A, dri- a taxi driver who picks up more than 15 points within two years would be forced to meet with the council's licensing committee meet. Sorry, um, the council's license committee, meaning the license could be revoked. The WTDA spokesman went on to say the council had also got to bring in better policies to safeguard the city trade from second-rate drivers bypassing stricter standards in Worcester but still plying their trade here. He claims he knew of numerous drivers who have lost their Worcester licences only to get another one elsewhere and then continue trading in the city. The WRS regulates the standards for all the county's councils but each council's standards for giving out licences differs. The spokesman said this makes no sense as the WRS is one body altogether. But this loophole means there are taxis with ball tyres and drivers with a high amount of penalty points, for example, operating in Worcester without a Worcester City Council licence. The City Council spokesman said the authority has listened to taxi drivers and has been conducting late-night enforcement in regulation to allegations of cross-bordering issues. As a result, two cases are currently under investigation with the potential for future court actions. Referring to Ms Tanner, she said, with regard to the second issue, it is an offence for licensed taxi drivers in Worcester to charge more than the metre price shown. Taxi drivers are required to use taxi metres fitted with their in their vehicles for all journeys within Worcester and should not be charged flat rate fares. And this is the um, headline from Wednesday, November the 20th. Another little store could open in the city. Little could soon be opening a third supermarket in the city, bringing 40 new jobs. 
the budget supermarket chain has put forward plans to open a new store on the site of the current JVM Castings Factory car park off Droitwich Road in Worcester. As part of the plans, the casting specialists would demolish a small underused part of the factory and move its staff car park to the side to make way for the new supermarket. This would be the city's third Lidl, with stores already open in Blackpool and Newtown Road, both of which are two miles or fewer away. Plans submitted to Worcester City Council show a 2,206 square metre supermarket and would include a bakery and self-service checkouts. A 112-space car park, including six disabled bays and eight parent and child spaces, would also be built. A total of 40 full and part-time jobs would be created by Open the New Lidl, according to the application form. The existing car park to the front of JVM Castings would be moved to the side and behind the former harvester site. A total of 125 car parking spaces would be provided for the factory. A small bay in the factory would be demolished for access to the new car park. Councillor Mel Olcott, who has been a strong opponent of the proposed McDonald's on the site of the former Harvester pub, said a new little would further exacerbate traffic and congestion in Droitwich Road. She said, I struggle to see how a retail outlet is sensible for claims. When there is a large little store very close by in Blackpool, plus the long-standing Sainsbury's and relatively new Marks and Spencer's, plus more retail development going on in this area. I would much prefer to see new local enterprise, small start-up businesses with environmental ethos. Councillor Andy Stafford, who represents claims on both the City and County Council, said, Overall, I think there are more positives than negatives to the proposed new Lidl. It helps secure JVM Castings as a significant employer in Worcester and will provide access to a low-cost supermarket for residents. There are concerns with increased traffic on Droitwich Road and Checkett's Lane, especially if the McDonald's is approved. I commend Lidl and JVM Castings for hosting a public exhibition of their plans and answering many questions posed by residents. This is in sharp contrast to McDonald's that have not engaged at all with local residents. I'm hopeful that the McDonald's application will be refused when it comes before planning committee. If approved, the new Lidl could be one of several major plans due to be built in the area in the next couple of years. City Council planners meet next month to make a long-awaited decision on the new McDonald's restaurant and drive through which has seen a number of delays. The decision was already pushed back from October when it was first set to come before the councillors um, due to the overwhelming response to the plan with almost 400 replies. Hundreds spoke out against the plan, saying a new McDonald's should not be built near a school and would attract more litter and antisocial behaviour, and a petition against the new fast food restaurant attracted more than 1,670 signatures. A decision on whether to grant retrospective permission for a small part of Worcester Muslim Cemetery in John Common Drive off Droitwich Road is still to be made. 
If the permission is granted, it would pave the way for a huge 785-plot three-part expansion, including a new pavilion and a peace garden, as well as a new building at its entrance to a house to house a small office, mortuary, toilets and a washing area. North Worcester Primary Academy, which was built on part of the old park and ride site, opposite the site of the proposed little supermarket, opened in September. A new multi-million state-of-the-art hockey centre is also set to be built on land off Droitwich Road, opposite Worcester Garden Centre. The City Council agreed to put the remaining land on the former park and ride site up for sale in March. The new Little will open by summer 2021. If approved, the company says... Oh, sorry. If, if approved, the company says. Consultation on the plans end on December the 11th. Details can be viewed on Worcester City Council's website. The application number is 19 slash 00851 slash FUL. And today's headline on Thursday, November 21st was Traffic Woe Sees Patients Left Trapped in Car Park. A mum who was trapped in Worcestershire Royal Hospital's car park for 90 minutes says action needs to be taken to stop the daily congestion problems. Marianne Salmon says the parking situation has got so bad, car park security are encouraging drivers to officially complain to Worcestershire Acute Hospital Trust. Mrs Elizabeth said she went to the hospital for an appointment at 3.30 on Tuesday but wasn't seen until 4.40. After leaving at 4.55, the 44-year-old said she went out to her car, parked on the car park opposite the front of the hospital, but was stuck in her space for 40 minutes trying to join the snake of cars attempting to leave. After joining the queue and finding everything at a standstill for a further 20 minutes, she called the hospital. I have waited in the car park before when the air ambulance landed, Mrs Elizabeth said. I was happy to if it was an emergency. After an hour, though, and as nothing was happening, I phoned and they put me through to the security guard and I said there was obviously some kind of problem. He said there's no problem and this was a daily occurrence. The guy was at his wit's end. He said people scream and shout at them and even they were frustrated by the gridlock. He said his wife works there and it has taken her an hour and 40 minutes to get out. The Butley resident said part of the problem was the traffic queues on the ring road around the hospital, which struggled to move as, at the first roundabout, cars leaving were not let out by those arriving who had the right of way. Mrs Elizabeth said the other problem is people were being questioned why their ticket had expired at the barrier. They're not allowed to just open the barrier and, of course, everyone's ticket had expired after being stuck in traffic. I saw the ring road clear, but we were still not moving. They obviously must have got fed up talking to drivers because after a while the barrier would automatically be put up when drivers reached it. I left at 6.27pm. I didn't get home until 7 
I have two children and had arranged childcare, so was late. The management at the hospital knows, but nothing is being done. It's a nightmare. A Worcestershire Acute Hospital NHS Trust spokesman said, Every effort is made to ease traffic congestion and keep traffic flowing through our sites. We recognise that this can be difficult during peak times and apologise for any inconvenience this may cause. And now some stories that um, you may be interested to hear. A drunk brain surgeon was six times the limit when he crashed his car and was found slumped at the wheel surrounded by empty alcohol bottles. A.J. Gupta crashed his Audi Q3 into a stationary car in Worcester and the breath test reading was so high he had to be rushed to the city's hospital. Before the crash, the doctor hit the bottle when his mother, who was visiting, criticised him for not attending his father's funeral in India. The 61-year-old admitted driving with excess alcohol when he appeared before magistrates in Worcester on Thursday, following the crash near his home in Vimiera, close Norton, Worcester, on July 28 this year. The evidential alcohol reading was 142 micrograms of alcohol in 100 mils of breath, more than four times the legal limit of 35 micrograms. However, the non-evidential roadside reading was at 218 micrograms of alcohol in 100 mils of breath, more than six times the limit. The court heard that it was not immediately possible to take a sample because he was so drunk and had to be taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. He also had a previous conviction for drink driving from 2015 and had already completed a drink-impaired driver's awareness course. Nicola Ritchie, prosecuting, said Gupta hit a parked vehicle at around 3.25pm. Miss Ritchie said, Witnesses said that when approaching the vehicle, they had seen Mr Gumter slumped at the, at the driver's side. Nobody else was in the parked car he hit and no one was hurt. Miss Ritchie said, Scattered around the vehicles were various empty alcohol bottles. Police say Mr Gupta was unable to lift his head upright or communicate effectively. Officers were not able to obtain a sample of blood for an alcohol reading, but they were eventually able to secure a reading via the intoxilizer. Gupta was disqualified from driving for 24 months for driving with excess alcohol in 2015. Richard Hull, defending, said Mr Gupta is deeply ashamed of his behaviour. What he tells me is that he binge drinks when circumstances present themselves, where emotionally he cannot cope, said Mr Hull. Mr Hull said the catalyst had been the death of his father in India. He was struggling to cope with that and didn't attend the funeral, said Mr Hull. The defendant's mother visited in July and there was a significant argument. The solicitor described how Gupta, a father of two, had worked as a brain surgeon in India but was now a brain rehabilitation doctor at hospitals in Leamington Spa. The NHS Trust is aware of of the offence. Magistrates sentenced Gupta to 12 weeks in prison suspended for two years. He must complete 160 hours of unpaid work and is banned from driving for 50 months. Homeless shelters across Worcestershire opened their doors last night, which was on Tuesday, as the temperatures dropped below freezing. 
The cold weather meant that the severe weather emergency protocol, the SWEP, came into effect, meaning that the shelters in Worcester, Evesham and Malvern opened their doors for the night. The night shelter at the Salvation Army, the Trinity in Worcester, was opened to rough sleepers from 9.30 on Monday until the morning. Similarly, the Salvation Army in Newton Road in Malvern was opened from the same time, as was All Saints Parish Church in Market Place, Evesham. SWEP automatically comes into effect when the weather is forecast to be below freezing to help rough sleepers out of the cold for the night. Outreach workers go out into the streets to invite rough sleepers in. There's a a picture here um, of a bin lorry um, and it was um, showing a mark of respect for a a bin man who has recently died. This was the scene yesterday as family, friends and colleagues gathered at a cemetery in Worcester to say farewell to a much-loved bin man who has died. A bin lorry accompanied the hearse to Astwood Cemetery for the funeral of Gary Perkins who died aged 52. As the lorry approached the crematorium, Tina Turner's Simply the Best was playing as dozens of mourners came to pay their respects. A message saying, Gary Perkins, rest in peace, was emblazoned on the side of the lorry. A driver, Mr Perkins, was known to many people locally as Alfie or Perco and died after a short illness. Mr Perkins, who was born and bred in Worcester, worked for Worcester City Council for more than 20 years and was a familiar face throughout the city. He leaves his wife Sharon and two children, Charlotte and Samuel. Kevin Haynes, Refuse Team Supervisor for the City Council, paid tribute to Mr Perkins, his work and approach to life. He said... Gary was hard-working, reliable and friendly. He always had a smile on his face and would do anything for anyone. He could fix anything, drive anything and nothing was too much for him. He regularly maintained gardens, tools and small plant for lots of Worcester people. Gary was a proud, straight-talking man and always stood up for what he believed was right. He never held back and always spoke his mind. He will be greatly missed by all his friends, colleagues and staff. He was 100% a gentleman and 100% a bin man. Gary was one of the best and it was an absolute pleasure to have known him. As a result of Mr Perkins' funeral, bin collections in the city on November the 14th were limited. Any bins that were not collected on November the 14th should still be out for 7am on Saturday, November the 16th, when the bins will be collected as normal. Agreements for money to build a £9 million bridge in the city must be absolutely watertight to ensure housing developers do not try to get out of paying for it, a councillor has warned. Worcestershire County Council's backed plans to move forward with building a foot and cycle bridge between Gellivelt Park and the old Kepax landfill site in Worcester. But a warning was made by Councillor John Smith, who said the County Council must ensure housing developers stick to their word if it was going to rely on them to stump up more than £6.5 million to get it built. Councillor Smith, Cabinet Member for Health, 
said he was concerned the council would be relying heavily on developer contributions known as Section 106 agreements to build the bridge. And it was very important to ensure the agreements were absolutely watertight so the council would get the money. He said if we make these Section 106 agreements, we must or the appropriate authority must ensure that these agreements are tied down, absolutely watertight. The estimated total cost at the moment would be almost £9 million, which includes studies, design costs, the new bridge, a path through the Kipak site and wider improvements. The construction of the bridge would cost around £6 million alone. Council bosses are confident it can secure funding from various housing developments that are planned to be built around the site of the proposed bridge. Councillor Ken Pollock, Cabinet Member for Infrastructure, said at a meeting at County Hall on Thursday, November the 14th, that it was disappointing to see some criticise the Council for building a walking and cycling bridge when another bridge was desperately needed for cars. He said, it's a bit like saying, well, if we can't do A, why are we bothering to do B? The two things are separate. It may well be that by building this bridge, there will actually be people not taking their cars across the bridge, and that will go some way to relieving congestion. Councillor Alan Amos said the economics of the bridge were a no-brainer. He said, given the social health Sorry, given the social, health, economic and transport benefits of this bridge, I can't see why anybody would not support it. We will in effect be getting a £9 million bridge for a contribution from the County Council of only £1.5 million, which has already been allocated in our budget for walking and cycling. A centre for art and culture has unveiled a series of hand-painted ceramic plates. The Royal Porcelain Works has reinstated 30 plates in what used to be the Victorian showroom of Royal Worcester, the Henry Sandon Hall. The project, which took three months to complete, was undertaken by Royal Porcelain Works resident artist Tony Young, and these hand-painted plates, depicting local scenes and wildlife, will be on show for visitors to enjoy, as well as serving as a lasting legacy to Tony, a local artist. Tony began his career at Royal Worcester in 1970, shortly after his 15th birthday. In 1971, he was named Best Animal and Bird Artist by the renowned ceramics expert Henry Sandon. He has painted the Queen's Corgis as well as paintings for the Sultan of Oman. Tony has also built up a reputation for his repairs and restoration work, including around 600 red poppies from the public art installation at the Tower of London. The original plates were also housed in the Henry Sandon Hall, built in 1851, to showcase the world-famous porcelain. Sarah Matthews, General Manager of Royal Porcelain Works, said, Installing in, sorry, in reinstating the plates, we are creating a new piece of history for the Henry Sandon Hall, whilst also recognising the incredible talent of Tony, who has dedicated his career to the works. 
An historic Worcester pub is reopening this week after a refurbishment gave it a new lease of life. The Goodrest Tavern in Barker Street will reopen on Friday after being closed since last month for a refurbishment. Craig Davis from Worcester has taken over the running of the pub and is overseeing the reopening. He said, After experiencing firsthand the concern over the closure of the Goodrest, I'm thrilled to be working with Hawthorne Leisure to recreate this true community hub. As a Worcester local myself, it feels great to be able to give this pub the new lease of life it deserves. I'd also like to thank Hawthorne Leisure for their incredible support throughout this process. The Good Rest was left without a landlord in November 2017 and residents feared that was the end of their community hub. The pub's future was secured when Hawthorne Leisure and New River took over the site, opening the co-op in the Goodrest's excess parking area. Hawthorne Leisure also put in £100,000 to help Mr Davis bring the pub back to life. Believed to have been built in the 1940s, the Goodrest was in desperate need of repair. Improvements to the pub include them showing live sport in a new modern lounge bar. The garden has been broken, brought back to life with the addition of a children's play area and a new outdoor heated seating area which is open year round, all year round. Mr Davis has also incorporated a variety of activities for guests to enjoy including a family games room and facilities to support skittles, pool and darts teams. Managing Director of Operations at Hawthorne Leisure, Mark McGinty, said, We're delighted by the enthusiasm demonstrated by Craig and his vision for the good rest. As a Worcestershire local, he understands the community's values and this experience of running pubs in Worcester over the last 15 years is second to none. At Hawthorne Leisure, we're always ready to support partners that are energetic and show a particular zest for the industry, and we found that in Craig. Charitable events that have become a regular occurrence at the Good Rest will also continue when it reopens on November the 22nd. Worcester's Conservative parliamentary candidate has said he is optimistic none of the city's libraries would close in the future after a year of uncertainty. Robin Walker said the Hive and the rest of the city's libraries were a real success story and were punching well above their weight. Asked whether he could promise that no libraries would close if he was re-elected as the city's MP, Mr Walker said, Touch wood, they haven't to date. I've been an MP for nine years and we had dire warnings from the Labour Party in 2010 that everything would be closing and we would all be losing these things. In a meeting with Culture Secretary Nicky Morgan at the Swan Theatre in Worcester on Thursday, November 14th, Mr Walker said, Despite libraries in the city having to be creative in how they remained open, he said it was a great success that none had been closed. He said, we've got a great story to tell in terms of local libraries and we have been able to keep open for a period when there has been a real challenge for local government funding. He said the city's Hive Library was a national example of what could be done with libraries when people thought outside the box and Worcester's libraries had a proud story to tell.
Mr Walker said it would be his job as MP to find library funding from wherever it needed to come. Worcester City Council was accused of helping out colleagues at Worcestershire County Council by taking on responsibility for running the city's St John's and Warnden libraries in May. The County Council held a long consultation earlier this year where every library was placed under review in a bid to save £800,000 in the next three years. Mrs Morgan said, I think it is more a partnership than helping out. I don't think we should be saying it should come down to just one body to pay for libraries. She said the government's cultural development fund, which she called the largest amount of money set aside for culture this century, would go directly towards museums and libraries. At the start of the year, the city was one of five areas chosen to share £20 million government funding to invest in culture, heritage and creative industries. Libraries are right at the heart of communities and we want to support them, she said. Asked whether the role of librarian was a thing of the past due to the move towards self-service, Mrs Morgan said, I see an exciting future for libraries, but it is going to be different from the past. And this is a bit of a trip down memory lane. Good news last week, there will still be a fish and chip shop at the bottom of Broad Street in Worcester. Now that Greek Cypriot couple Andreas and Christina Vasiliou have taken over the Emporium. The chippy trade has produced some rich characters in the city over the years and Rose Lewis, who ran the Broad Street business in the 1960s and into the 70s, was certainly one of them. She was not very big, but her motherly appearance belied a no-messing attitude to any inebriated customer who staggered through the doors late on Saturday evening looking for a bag full of chips to soak up a belly full of beer. One of Worcester's best-known chippy owners was Honky Fletcher, who had a shop in Lowesmore for more than 50 years until he retired in 1985. He would cheerfully recall Saturday night stories like ejecting a recalcitrant customer from his premises straight onto the bonnet of a passing car, much to the surprise of the driver or throwing three drunken Norton Barracks squaddies into the back of a convenient police Black Mariah as it pulled up for the driver to collect the order for the Deansway Nick. Of course Honky was not his real name, that was George, but he was given it as a lad when he delivered bread at night and would drive round the city streets shouting Honk, 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 because his van hadn't got a horn. Honky Fletcher was so well known, he's probably the only person ever to have an anti-obituary carried in this paper. That happened when he went into hospital for a serious operation and a well-meaning friend reported him dead. The news soon spread like wildfire, leading his wife to take out a notice in the paper to say that in fact her husband was recovering well while another in his chippy window said simply, Honky's OK. <laughs> Despite becoming a British tradition, fish and chips actually has its roots abroad, with both Belgium and France claiming to be the birthplace of the chip, 
which may have been invented in the 17th century as a substitute for fish rather than an accompaniment. When the rivers froze over and nothing could be caught, resourceful housewives began cutting potatoes into fishy shapes and frying them as an alternative. Around the same time, fried fish was introduced into Britain by Jewish refugees from Portugal and Spain. The actual birthplace of fish and chips, as we know, know it, is a matter of controversy. Some credit a northern entrepreneur called John Lees. As early as 1863, it is believed he was selling fish and chips out of a wooden hut at Mossley Market in industrial Lancashire. Others claim the first combined fish and chip shop was actually opened by a Jewish immigrant, Joseph Malin, within the sound of Bow Bells in East London around 1860. Whatever the original takeaway has contributed the great sorry, whatever the original takeaway has contributed greatly to Worcester's social fabric over the years, and here are some of its familiar faces. A former heroin addict and dealer on the brink of death has doubled in weight since coming off the drug in what a judge described as an amazing turnaround. Natalie Wood admitted possession of heroin and cocaine with intent after her starport home was raided by police. However, she was spared jail at Worcester Crown Court because of the progress that she has made, the judge arguing it would be catastrophic to send her to prison. Police raided the 39-year-old former addict's home at around 6.30am on February 1st, 2018, where they found wraps of cocaine and heroin and around £500 in cash. The court heard how Wood continues to provide negative samples after beating a 20-year addiction to heroin. Matthew Barnes, prosecuting, said Wood had two telephones which contained evidence of drugs being offered to her but also some messages suggesting she herself had supplied drugs. Wood pleaded guilty on February the 5th this year after telling police she was a drug addict. Her co-defendant, Sante Clark, aged 30, of Shaw Road, London, was cleared by a jury of possession of crack cocaine and heroin with intent to supply. She said she had met him by chance in town about three weeks ago. He was homeless and she decided to ask him if he wanted to stay at her flat and let him sleep in the bed for about two weeks, said Mr Barnes. Initially, she said she had no knowledge of the drugs found in a green container. She challenged the police officers to test it for fingerprints. Amanda O'Mara, defending, said she was about five stone and told she was going to die soon. However, her client self-referred to Swanswell and had not used drugs since February 2018 when the raid took place. The mother of three had been misusing drugs since she was 19 years old, said Miss O'Mara. It's a massive turnaround. She has put weight on. She has moved out of the estate. Recorder David Mason QC told Wood of Ernley Close, you are now heroin free, which is the first time in nearly 20 years. I accept entirely your property was being used by others at the time of these offences, despite what the jury's verdict is. I am quite satisfied you were not the dominant part in this enterprise and were being clearly used and coerced by others. 
he sentenced her to two years in prison, suspended for two years. This is um, a article written by Alex Morgan for Dad's World. Daddy, my son screeches, voice tremulous with excitement. He's screeching at the, sorry, he's scratching at the dirt with a pointy stick. What is it? He rushes over, carrying the treasure in upturned hands, beaming. I don't know. Ah, it's a piece of jagged, rusty old corrugated iron. Wow, that's amazing, I say. We take it home and put it on the windowsill. I'll wait for my chance, then throw it away. School is largely to blame for the tatty filling our home. Every piece of classwork, every piece of colouring in, every baffling scribble is sent home for us to enjoy. I can't help feeling this is slightly passive-aggressive. The teachers are saying we have to smile and nod at this rubbish all flipping day long, and they're not even our children. Now it's your turn. See how you like it. It fills boxes, covers sideboards, gathers in corners, the projects and crafts and rainy day crap. Sometimes it feels like the majority of the world's cardboard, paper and plastic, once perfectly good recycling, is being irrevocably cellotaped and coloured and painted into objects that are bound inevitably for landfill. The ideas and dreams of our children will last for uh, millennium. Flattened between a subterranean mountain of party bag knickknacks and a poo-roclastic flow of disposable nappies, occasionally I snap and rage around the house, hurling things into bins, looking as fast as I can before my irrational parenting emotions stop me. I come across the jagged, dangerous piece of corrugated iron and hold it up triumphantly. I tell it it's going in the bin, and I take it to the bin. Then I remember the look on my son's face when he found it. A titanic internal struggle takes place. Then I put it back on the windowsill. And now we've got a bit of um, sports news. Mm. And the first headline is Hooker's Hopes. Niall Annett does not want to face another agonising wait for a new Worcester Warriors deal as he hopes to have it wrapped up as soon as possible. Uncertainty hung over the long-serving hooker's future for much of last season until he put pen to paper in late April. Annett was one of the last Warriors players to secure a new contract and the 28-year-old said the delay did affect him. This is uh, Worcester... um, rugby club we're talking about. He is determined not to go through the experience again and aims to extend his long six-way stay even further. I want to try to get my future wrapped up as soon as possible, said Annett, whose current deal expires next summer. That's all I can say on it. Every rugby player wants to know what they are doing and where they are playing. Contract time is difficult, but that is probably going to be four or five months down the road anyway. Hopefully playing good rugby will make that process a lot easier. Annette, who missed the entire 2017-18 campaign due to injury, has made 79 appearances for Warriors since joining from Ulster in 2014. It would affect anyone not knowing their future, Annette said. But I was comfortable that I was good enough. 
I wasn't stuck without opportunities, but it was very obvious to me what I wanted to do. Playing good rugby takes care of all that. And its latest contract came on the back of a string of impressive performances in the blue and gold after an injury hit start to last season. The Irishman has started Warriors' first four Gallagher Premiership matches this term and hopes to keep a stranglehold on his number two shirt. I picked up an injury after the first two games of last season, Annette said. Touch wood, I can keep fit like I did at the tail end of the campaign where I managed to put together ten performances on the trot. It's a very aggressive and combative sport, so you are going to pick up knocks and injuries. Fingers crossed I can avoid those for as long as possible. It took me a while after my knee injury to just find my rhythm and the pace of the game. I think Solly, that's Alan Solomons, director of rugby, would agree that it took me time to find my feet. I showed at the tail end of last season what I am capable of as a rugby player. I think I bring something slightly different. I started off pre-season trying to find my feet again like everybody does. But against Leicester Tigers, I thought I showed more of what I did last year. So I want to keep my head down, work hard and put those performances in. England hooker Jack Singleton left Warriors to join Saracens this summer, but Annette believes the battle for a place in the front row is just as intense this term. The competition is as tough as it has ever been, Annette said. Back to when I first joined, there were four hookers here that were all quality, and now we have got five. Premiership clubs are going to stock up on good quality hookers because it is a specialist position. Jack moving on to Sarries was a great opportunity for him, but we have signed Matt Moulds, who is clearly a very experienced super rugby player. We are five players deep, with the likes of Isaac Miller, who has trained brilliantly, and Beck Cutting, who has bags of potential as well. A potential move to six ways, which would have involved Worcester City being taken over by Warriors owner Colin Goldring and Jason Whittingham, has collapsed. Goldring confirmed talks had been held with City Supporters Trust, the umbrella organisation that holds the majority stake in the club, over ending more than six years of exile but that any deal would have seen fan ownership relinquished. The Worcester News understands city and trust officials had planned to pitch that option alongside the possibility of staying community-owned and relocating to Clanes when members and shareholders meet at Worcestershire County Cricket Club on Thursday, November 28th. But Goldring, who said he had been aware of city's Clanes Lane talks, revealed Warriors had already switched focus to developing a multi-sport facility at Six Ways, including its own football club. I think it's important to give some background. Being transparent with the supporters of the rugby club is something Jason and I believe in, said Goldring. We want to serve our community as best we can and believe that is done through multi-sport with rugby at the heart of it. We have always wanted to bring in other sports, with football being a big part of it, because we want to reach out to that community. 
That is our focus more than bringing in a first team that is in whatever tier of the league system. The community aspect is the priority for us. We want to be inclusive of all sports and that's part of the values of rugby. Whatever sport we do, we will look to transpose those values. It goes hand in hand that you also have a first team as well as community teams and I can confirm we have held talks with Worcester City over the past few months mooting the idea of them coming to Six Ways. We thought it was right to give them the chance given their history in the city of Worcester. Those talks went so far they were exploratory to see whether it would work for them but in the last meeting we had with the Trust I think they made it quite clear and I understand this completely that they are community owned club that is their focus and the way they want to go. I fully support members of the club wanting to achieve that. I understand they have this option to go elsewhere and I'm very happy for them. But I can say, having looked at it and heard what they want to achieve, that it is not the right fit for here. It's not an option for them to come to six ways now. Asked whether the option could be revisited, Goldring replied, I would say never say never, but as it stands now, I can't see it working. Given what their objectives are and what we want to achieve here, it is not likely to happen in the near future. Asked whether the move would have involved taking over City, Goldring replied, the prospect we were mooting involved Jason and I taking over a club, yes. Whatever club plays out of our stadium, we want to have control of ownership of it. Whichever club comes here, or if we start a fresh club that is community-based, Jason and I would own it. On whether that had scuppered the deal, Goldring said, I wouldn't say that was the sticking point. What they want to achieve as a club is different to what Jason and I want to achieve here for the community. For example... One of their objectives was to own their stadium and we were never going to surrender ownership of the stadium we have here. The objectives didn't tally. I wish the fans of Worcester City all the best and I'm very glad they have had this option of Clains Lane come up. Clains Lane, the permanent home of West Midlands regional league outfit Worcester Raiders and amateur sides, is currently being redeveloped by landlords Worcestershire FA. Top brass from City and its trust remained tight-lipped with club chairman Steve Good and trust vice chairman Julian Pugh declining to confirm or deny either proposal. A joint statement insisted speculation about done deals had been vastly ill-informed but did not offer detail on whether talks had taken place. It read, The football club are aware of claims relating to the club signing a deal to play at a ground in Worcester. Worcester City FC asserts that no such agreement has been made with any party relating to playing arrangements for next season and that any reports suggesting so are vastly ill-informed. Supporters are advised to attend the joint shareholders and trust members meeting on November 28th 
where all options available to Worcester City FC will be openly discussed. Any updates on playing arrangements will come directly from Worcester City FC. And now we're back to Worcester Warriors. Ex-Warriors skipper Jonathan Thomas is to return to Six Ways as forwards coach for the 2020-21 season. The former Wales flanker will take over the forwards coaching from Rory Duncan, who departs from Worcester by mutual agreement at the end of this campaign. Thomas is currently forwards coach at Bristol Bears under, director of, under the director of Rugby Pat Lamb, who has guided them to the top of the Gallagher Premiership after four rounds of matches. Thomas made 44 appearances for Warriors between 2013 and 2015 before retiring. He has since made a smooth transition off the pitch, joining Bristol as defence and forwards coach in 2016, before moving into his current role last year. JT shares the passion and ambition we all have for Warriors to become a successful Premiership club, said Warriors Director of Rugby, Alan Solomons. He was a popular and respected captain of the club and is excited by the prospect of returning to Six Ways and working with a talented squad, particularly the outstanding crop of youngsters that we have coming through. JT played at the highest level, winning 67 caps for Wales, and he also had a long and distinguished club career with Ospreys and Warriors. Since ending his playing career, JT has become an exceptional forward coach and has had the advantage of working under the tutelage of Pat for the last three years. I have known JT since 2017 when we worked together during that time and I was employed as a consultant at Bristol. He is a fantastic bloke, an outstanding leader and an exceptionally gifted young coach. He is passionate, ambitious and enthusiastic and will be a great asset to the club. I am really looking forward to working with him again. Thomas, 36, will not need to relocate when he joins Warriors as he has continued to live in South Worcestershire during his time with Bristol. His impending return to Six Ways has been welcomed by Warriors co-owner Colin Goodring and Jason Whittingham. JT was an accomplished international forward with proven experience as a successful Premiership forwards coach, they said. It's an exciting time for Warriors, with improvements on and off the pitch. JT is joining a great team in the rugby department and it feels like we are building something rather special at the club. It's great to see the incredible people Worcester has produced, now wanting to be part of the Warriors family again because they believe in the club's culture, strength and vision for the future. JT was a big part of the club's history, as it's fantastic that he would also now be a part of its future. And now a story about athletics. It's very short. Um, Worcester Athletic beat Wet Weather and Malvern's Ex Express Falcons to progress in the McDonald Worcester and District League Bayless Cup. With most Worcester City Council pitches ruled out due to the conditions, Athletics saw our Falcons 3-2 in the first round at Nunnery Wood Sports Complex through a Lee Selden hat-trick. Northside also went through with a 4-2 success at Colwall Wanderers. A rugby ace open schools nursery. A new nursery was opened in the city. King's St Albans held the official opening of the nursery at its Worcester City Centre ca uh, campus. 
The ribbon was cut by William Butler from Worcester Warriors, who delighted some of the older pupils of the school by chatting to them about his rugby career on Thursday, November the 14th. He said, It's been so inspiring spending time with the next generation. They had some fascinating questions and kept me on my toes with the Q&A sessions. It's been lovely to be part of the official opening too. The little ones are so lucky to have such a wonderful space to explore, both inside and outside. The nursery, which has been operational since the start of September, has recently been transformed by the acquisition of a neighbouring house and subsequent expansion of its outdoor learning area. It now has two large classrooms, a large outside play area for children to explore and enjoy, and they can also use the pre-prep library and forest school. Anne Ling, who has a daughter in the nursery as well as older children in the junior school, said, My daughter started in September and has settled in really well. She loves it there and enjoys every session. All of the staff are brilliant too. Richard Chapman, the school's headmaster, congratulated the school and staff on the facility. He said, It's been a long journey to get here, but we're delighted to be up and running and now offering full year-round nursery provision. We researched carefully what parents wanted from a nursery and considered facilities, timings and ethos. We are extremely grateful to all those who have supported the plans and helped make this happen. The nursery was opened on Thursday, November the 14th and marks 10 years since the King's pre-prep building was built. The nursery will will run from 7.45am to 6pm for preschool children aged 2 to 4 years. A blind D-Day veteran from Worcester marched at the Cenotaph in London this Remembrance Sunday with the charity Blind Veterans UK. Michael Stone... 97, who lives in St George's Lane, marched as part of the National Remembrance Sunday commemorations with more than a 100 other blind veterans, supported by Blind Veterans UK, the national charity for vision-impaired ex-servicemen and women. Mr Stone joined the Royal Artillery in 1940. He served throughout Europe most notably in Normandy, where he landed on the beaches on D-Day as a young officer in charge of four guns. He said, I had the opportunity to become an air observation post pilot in 1944 and I was very proud to receive my army wings. He was demobbed in October 1946. Mr Stone lost his sight three years ago due to macular degeneration. He found out about Blind Veterans UK and started receiving support from the charity in 2016. He said, I find my sight loss extremely irritating and it has affected my life considerably. The charity, though, have been extraordinarily helpful and good. They are always inviting me to things and you never feel forgotten about. I can't praise them enough. As well as enjoying the social events and rehabilitation courses the charity organises, Mr Stone has also been provided with an an optelic reader which has changed his life. He said, I was very proud to represent all the boys who didn't return home and was thinking about all the ones that I knew personally. 
A bench will be placed on the city's riverside to commemorate a councillor who died suddenly earlier this year. Worcester City Council agreed to pay tribute to Councillor Stuart Denley Maxwell by placing a memorial bench in the city's newly created Riverside Park. Councillor Denley Maxwell died suddenly in June, aged 60. Councillor Andy Stafford, who represented Clains Ward with Councillor Denley Maxwell, paid tribute to his former friend and colleague at a full city council meeting on Tuesday, November the 19th. He said... The River Severn was one of particular significance to Stuart. In his childhood, he would swim in the river. He had a long-term association with the rowing club and would regularly walk his dog, Daisy, along the riverside. Stuart was a strong supporter of the Riverside Park and took a keen interest in its development. Stuart was always positive, kind and compassionate and he had so much more to give to Worcester. A chicken shop in Worcester has received the lowest possible ratings from the Food Standards Agency. Jack's Chicken and Chips Co. in Forgate Street received 0 out of 5 when it was inspected by the FSA. This is the second time the eatery has gained this score. The inspection said that improvement was necessary with regards hygienic handling of food, including preparation, cooking, reheating, cooling and storage. It also said that major improvement was necessary in the areas of cleanliness and condition of facilities and building, including having appropriate layout, ventilation, hand-washing facilities and pest control, to enable good food hygiene and having a system of checks in place to ensure that food sold or served is safe to eat. It also said evidence that staff know about food safety and the food staff officer has confidence that standards will be maintained in future. The inspection was carried out on Tuesday, October the 22nd, but a Worcestershire Regulatory Services spokesman said they could not publish the contents of the report as the premises owner had registered a complaint with them that required inspection. The spokesman said they hoped to release the report in due course. The Worcester News contacted Jacks and were told that the manager would call back, but at the time of going to print we had received no calls. The majority of FSA inspections are carried out unannounced and the business is rated on what is found at the time. According to the FSA website, we always try to make visits when the business is trading. We are legally required to give 24 hours notice to food businesses that are home-based. Following an inspection, businesses can appeal a rate and a ratings given and also be re-rated on request. In 2017, Jacks received a zero score but was reassessed and given a score of five soon after. Owner at the time, Imran Ahmed, said the eatery was planning to keep the five stars adding, we can't afford not to. A plan to demolish a derelict city centre nightclub to make way for an 83-bed student accommodation building looks set to be approved this week. The seven-storey building would be built on the site of the eyesore former nightclub images in the Butts. Worcester City Council's planning committee meets on Thursday, November the 21st, which is today, to make a decision with a recommendation that it is, that is approved. The plan was first submitted by Rengen Developments 
and Worcester-based property developer Thornley Development seven months ago and has gone through several changes. The original 112-bed plan was altered to a 110-bed, nine-storey plan to make the accommodation building the same height as the hive. A subsequent plan put forward in May asked for permission to build a 100-bed building, but was soon reduced to 89 beds, before finally settling on an 83-bed building. Some concerned residents asked the council to reject a plan to demolish the former nightclub over fears it would cause too much disruption and destroy part of the city's heritage. Several objections were raised by neighbours and residents around the city concerned by the disruption it would cause, with some calling it inadequate and unneeded and a wasted opportunity. One concerned resident said it would be a travesty to knock the building down. Alan Price of Nelson Road said, The former nightclub is based in a historic Worcestershire building with parts of the historic city wall behind it. Demolition of this building would be a travesty to future generations of Worcester people. Paul Harding of Discover History said the building was a key part of the city's industrial heritage and kept the city's other industries industries running in the 19th century by repairing machinery and it would be a shame to see it knocked down. Several objectors called for the building to be locally listed, but Worcestershire Regulatory Services said that despite it having some minor archaeological and relatively low historic interest, it did not merit the criteria. The building has been derelict since Funk Nightclub closed down in February 2012. In 2014, the Council's Licensing Subcommittee approved the site becoming a club named Mama Jamas, despite fierce opposition from West Mercia Police, who believed the venue would increase crime in the area, but the plans never came to fruition. The plan for student accommodation on the site was supported by the City Council during pre-consultation advice, With the building located in the city centre and within walking distance of the University of Worcester, no car parking spaces would be provided. The Council's planning committee meets at 1.30 in the Guildhall on Thursday, November 21st. The band that gives Christmas songs a good, if respectful, kicking returns to Huntington Hall in Worcester during their 19th festive season. Since they first got together to record the eponymous St. Agnes Fountain album in 2001, the quartet of founder David Hughes, Fairport Convention's Chris Leslie and 2009's BBC Radio 2 Folk Awards Best Duo Chris Weil and Julie Matthews has brought musical invention and laughter to the stardust atmosphere of the season's year in and year out. To their many fans, they are simply the Aggies, and as big a part of Christmas as a sprig on a plum duff, whatever that means. The band's unusual full name, of course, comes from that much-loved Christmas carol, Good King Wenceslas, the poor man helped by the kindly monarch famously lives by the forest by St Agnes Fountain. 
A spokesman said the Aggies have now released 12 treasured albums, eight studio albums and two live CDs, as well as a couple of best-of albums combining new versions of classic Christmas carols, original compositions and one or two fun surprises. Although St Agnes Fountain's albums accompany the putting up of a Christmas tree throughout Britain, it is without question their magical live performances that have endeared them to an ever-growing audience. Indeed, as in previous years, tickets were already being sold for this year's tour as the curtain fell on last year's celebration. But what can an audience expect? The spokesman said, performing rhythmed-up carols and Christmas music interspersed with laughter and spoken word. St Agnes Fountain brings sparkling musicianship, humour and heartfelt renditions of your favourite Christmas tunes, both original and those you know so well or thought you did. Christmas, as they say, starts with St Agnes Fountain. Why not start yours at Huntington Hall on Tuesday, December the 3rd, at 7.30. Box office number is 01905 A couple of other what's on uh, notices. We have heard that two performances of Snow White at the Swan Theatre have audio description to accompany the performances. They are at 7pm on Saturday the 7th of December at 2pm on December 28th. The matinee. We hope you will enjoy the shows. And also during the Victorian Christmas Fair, there's various um, choirs and entertainment, but the Phoenix Choir is singing at 2 o'clock on the 30th of November, that's a Saturday, um, behind Boots Debenhams in the Bell Square, and they are raising funny money for charity. Worcestershire champion rally driver Russell Brooks, who spent a lifetime in the very fast cars, has died while out riding on his bike. He was 74. No other vehicle is believed to have been involved in his death, which occurred on Captain's Hill, Ulster, and his family issued a statement saying, Russell passed away suddenly whilst on his bike. He was dearly loved and will be remembered with fondness and admiration by all who knew him. We want to thank everyone in the emergency services and the general public who tried so valiantly to help him that evening. Russell Brooks was born in Birmingham and became one of the UK's leading rally drivers in the late 70s and 1980s. He fell in love with the sport after seeing a stage of the Liège-Sophia-Liège rally whilst on holiday shortly after his 16th birthday. However, his debut didn't go too well when he overturned his father's Austin A105 Westminster in his first proper race. Undeterred, he moved to live in Inkbarrow and began driving a Ford Escort Mexico for the local Brooklyn Garage, winning the Welsh Championship. But it was after he received financial backing from Wolverhampton Air Conditioning Company, Andrews Heat for Hire, that Russell Brooks' career moved into the fast lane. He won the Castrol Stroke MN title and the Group 1 title in the National Championship in an Escort RS2000. In 1976, he was given a Works Ford Escort for the British Championship finishing second. 
The following year he was taken on full-time by Ford and this time won the British Championship. In 1978 he won the Tulip Rally in Holland and the Mont Montogard Rally in New Zealand and in 1979 finished second in the RAC Rally. Brooks won the British Championship again in 1985 in an Opel Manta 400 and there was a second Welsh Rally win in 1987. Further drives followed for Vauxhall, Lancia and back at Ford, whose Sierra RS Cosworth 4x4 he drove to victory in the 1990 Manx Trophy. After being diagnosed with diabetes, Russell Brooks, who by then ran his own Redditch printing company, officially retired in 1991, but continued to compete in one-off and historic events, and in 1997 won the historic car RAC rally. His funeral service is private, but a memorial service will be announced later. And that nearly brings us to the end of um, this week. Uh, just to remind you that the uh, Bible verse and the obituaries will be after the final music. Um, so anybody who doesn't want to hear them can just switch off after that. Uh, lighting up time is 14.09 to 7.39. Uh, we wish a very happy birthday yesterday to Howard Jones. I hope that last week it was announced, but if not, uh, many happy returns belated. And Graham Smith on the 28th. We wish you uh, all many happy returns. And anybody whose birthday occurs and we haven't got their names, please do let us know. Um, thank you so much to Jane Staples for her donation. Uh, it's much appreciated. We we always very grateful for any uh, donation. The emergency phone number for Out of Hours Medical Assistance is 6pm to 8pm on 0300123 and the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre telephone number is 01684 Worcester Live is 611429 which covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub number for Council Matters is 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers telephone number 0800 555 Our telephone number is 01905 767766 and our address is 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. Our website address is www.worcestertalkingnews.org.uk on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazines and much more. Um, so now just for the final music and then into the Bible reading. The thought for the day, Exodus 19 verses 9 and Exodus 20 verses 2 to 4. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. 
Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The obituaries. Catherine Mary Band of Brickfields passed away on October the 24th, age 59. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 22nd at 1pm. Roy Bennett passed away peacefully on November the 2nd, age 74. The funeral service is at Great Malvern Cemetery Chapel at 11am, followed by the burial at 12 noon on November the 29th. George Charles Castle passed away peacefully at Haresbrook Park Care Home on November the 2nd, age 90. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 25th at 2.30. Ita Mabel Hope, nay Harbron, passed away in hospital on November the 5th, aged 89. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 27th at 3.15. Kathleen Mary Howe passed away at St Richard's Hospice on November the 11th, aged 84. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 21st at 10.45. Richard Edward Stanley, known as Dick, died on November the 7th, aged 72. The funeral service is at St Joseph's Roman Catholic Church in Malvern at 12 noon on November the 28th. Russell Whittle Williams, formerly of Pixham Farm, Callow End, passed away at home on November the 5th, aged 89. There's a private crem- cremation followed by Thanksgiving service at St Peter's Church in Powick on November the 26th at 3 o'clock. David Kettringham, known as Dave Kett, passed away peacefully on November the 2nd. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 22nd at 10 a.m. Rita Mary Nugent died peacefully on November the 4th, aged 67. The funeral service is at Our Lady, Queen of Peace, Catholic Church in St. John's on November the 26th at 1 p.m. Annie Carroll passed away peacefully on November the 6th, age 92. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 27th at 1 p.m. Geoffrey Keith Weaver died suddenly at Aries Sioux age 49. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 29th at 10.45. Pamela June Barr, formerly Duric, D-U-R-I-C-I-C, I'm not sure how that's pronounced, Nay Bellamy, known as Pam, passed away on November the 4th, aged 85. Graveside service for Pam will take place at Westall Park Burial Ground on December the 2nd at 11am. Kathleen Clark passed away on November the 7th, aged 95, former teacher at Clane's C of E School. The funeral service will take place at Clane's Church on November the 27th at 1pm. James Edward Cousins, known as Jim of Droitwich, 
passed away on November the 6th, age 41. The funeral service is at Y Forest Crematorium on November the 29th at 2.30. Margaret Ann Day passed away peacefully on November the 7th, aged 81. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 28th at 11.30. Noreen Mary Frost quietly slipped away, aged 88, on November the 1st. The funeral will be held on Tuesday, November the 26th at the Vale Crematorium in Fladbury at 12 midday. Walter Stanford Roberts, known as John of Lye, passed away peacefully in hospital on the 10th of November, aged 88. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on the 6th of December at 1pm. Our thoughts and prayers go out to all the families and friends.